Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LIBF's After Show podcast for the transitioning of SNCR into business as usual. Uh, my name is John Somerville, Head of Financial Services, and I hosted the event. Uh, and I'm welcoming back uh, Judy Pardy and Nick Dent from WorkSmart. Uh, good morning to both of you. How are you both doing this morning? Morning, John. Yeah, very well, thank you. Good. Nick, you're all firing on four cylinders this morning. As we were talking earlier, John, yes, I am, although reeling a little bit from the results of the football over the weekend. Oh, you know, it's very hard not to, not to really cover it, I'm afraid. It's there, isn't it, unfortunately? But uh, we'll, we'll move on, I think. It's time to move on. I think we've got to get over that uh, little bit of disappointment. But, you know, I think great tournaments all round, really. So, you know, it's all good to see that uh, we've come out smiling at the other end eventually, but not quite the same as lifting the cup. But speaking of which, SMCR, we, you know, we, we'll move on to the, the exciting subject that is that. And obviously, uh, you know, post-football, uh, there are no trophies here, really, other than actually getting this right, I think. This is the most important bit. And um, we had some amazing questions on the day uh, and too many to really cover, really. I mean, uh, the, the input, what did you think, Julie, on the day? I mean, the, the input from our audience was amazing, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it's something that we always find when we join um, you for the um, webinars is that people are, are really prepared to share, prepared to question and, and really consider what they're doing within their organisation. So it's always a pleasure. Uh, so it was great to see some of the comments that were coming back through. That's really kind. Thank you. Uh, we really enjoy hosting these. So hence the reason why, you know, putting this on uh, and rewarding, hopefully, those listeners that didn't quite get there questions answered also others that would be interested in finding out a little bit more about this as, as a follower and, and our reflections really and and so what i'm going to do um on the day there were there were three comments that were made which we didn't get time to cover and then there were three questions also so we're going to start with the comments first really which are always worth expanding on i find um people's experiences um almost as, as interesting as the questions themselves because people really learn from their reflections on this sort of thing. Um, and the first one, um, we were asking the question really, uh, you know, how did people find getting into SMCR and, how, how, and implementing it? And one of the first comments was um, that uh, one of our audience looked at it in, from the wrong direction uh, and i.e. how they met their regulatory requirements instead of actually, you know, the implementation of SMCR itself. Um, is, is that something you've experienced yourselves, guys? Uh, who'd want to go first on that? Shall I let Julie go first? I think it's probably a good idea. Um, and it's, it's interesting that the language that they use there with that comment. I mean, the regulator wouldn't say you've looked at it in the wrong direction by looking at meeting the regulatory requirements because that's exactly what they're looking for. But I think possibly the point here was around, you know, reg meeting regulation is an expensive business. Uh, and actually, we've noticed a trend for businesses, to, they want more. So we, we don't just want to meet a regulatory requirement, we want to improve a process, we want to reduce risk, we want to mitigate this, that or the other. And when we were working with firms, it was interesting to try and talk with them about you know, so SMCR is really wide ranging. It covers so many different parts of, a, of an organization. 
what is it um, specifically that you would like SMCR to achieve for you, as well as meeting the regulatory requirements? And that might be something like fixing a process that, you know, doesn't work very effectively. But, you know, as a business, you haven't had a, you know, an imperative to change that. So we focus very much in, in, in that way. And I think um, that organisations have realised that there is greater value in doing that rather than just trying for, for a tick box approach. That's perfect, really, Julie. Nick, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, I, I think I'd agree with Julie. I, I mean, the, the first thing to say is is um, that as a comment um, is 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 not unusual. Um, I think a lot of firms found themselves in the, in the same situation, um, and to some extent, it's quite heartening because I, I think it 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 kind of reflects a realization of. Um, the spirit of the regime and, and what it was all about, really. Um, and it, it, it's not anything to be embarrassed about, uh, um, uh, because this 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 regime has been the biggest change, the biggest regulatory change that I think certainly Julie and I have seen within our careers within financial services. And and added together, that's been quite some time, I think. Um, uh, but it, it means it means that firms should should have the confidence to take steps in bite-sized chunks so if if meeting the regulation is the first step then, then that's great um i think there's there's a risk that some firms may make the mistake of sticking with that and thinking that that's enough um because the 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 regime uh, the intent of the regime and how the regulator views the regime will continue to evolve so um so it's time to move on now and like julie's saying do continue to think about what what you as a firm want out of the regime put that into practice um uh, and let it evolve as the business evolves really great comments thank you for that i'm going to move on to another comment which was um it was interesting that shortly after the regime was launched the fca stated that some firms were trying too hard by creating too detailed statements of responsibility and creating some for people who needn't be included, probably attributable to twitchiness about the, the new regime. Um, and, you know, I can, I can kind of see where this guy's coming from, or where this lady's coming from. I'm so, so sorry I made that assumption that it was a, a gentleman. Obviously, it could have been anybody. So I, I haven't got the name for the person who put that one in. Um, but I will say that, um, yeah, you know, this is a, a, a people business. So, uh, but of course, it, it, it would, would you say that we're trying to cover every single aspect of every person's role? Is that what they're pretty much getting at here? Um, I think on a on a general basis, so not just with statements of responsibilities, but across the piece, the first thing I would say is that because there was a level of nervousness about we've never done this, we don't know what it looks like, you know, we want to do it right. There was definitely across the piece, we saw a trend to do things for people that didn't need it. So whether it was um, try and have more um, senior managers that, than one might really need or be expected to have or having many more people in certification them really met the requirement there was definitely that initial piece so I think that's quite normal as, as firms try and and work out where they they sit with the regime um, but really we saw more um, the, the, the the regulator 
being concerned that statements of responsibilities were so bland that it would be very difficult to identify, right, that statement of responsibility belongs to that person in that type of organisation. So they have published some, I think they published some finalised guidance a couple of years ago where they were giving examples of what a statement of responsibility looks like. Um, but definitely in some sectors, we saw um, a bit of guidance and advice, I think, as in put as little down as you possibly can, but that's no help to anybody. Um, so the, the biggest thing we saw um, where it wasn't working effectively was where firms were writing them as one might a job description and then walk away as opposed to know that as the business grows and moves and changes and as the individual's role moves the accountabilities will move with them as well so some of them will be static but there'll be things that arise in the natural course of business that have to be allocated as an accountability to somebody um, and that's where people need to um, I think think about this as a living and breathing regime and not just something that you do once a year um it's an ongoing piece of work no definitely you know everybody has a place within this regime don't they? that's the that's the key here and it's how you how you understand it and, and move people towards those, their roles nick anything else to add on that one I, I mean just to add some color i think um and clarity to what what julie's saying um i, I mean i think i think if i uh, if I add any responsibility for how firms document these kind of things, um, then I would want statements of responsibility to be um, very dynamic and flex as the senior manager's roles flex. So the the example that, that I would often use is, um, I mean, for example, if, if a senior manager were ultimately accountable for a significant project within the firm, um, you would justifiably want their statement of responsibility to change for the period that they are responsible for delivering that project. Um, because historically, it needs to reflect the fact that that senior manager was responsible for that activity at the time. So, um, and again, it, it, it says a lot about why we're still talking to organisations that uh, are somewhat surprised how dynamic this regime is, how, how much it is a business as usual challenge, a day-to-day -day challenge. Um, but, you know, that, that's a good thing. That was always the intent. Um, so I, I'm always heartened um, when I hear that those kind of things are happening. Fantastic. Um, we've got another comment before we get onto the questions, which was about credit unions, actually. And I know we answered a question on the day around credit unions, but obviously the comment that went along with it was I work with a couple of credit unions and they have special issues as they generally only have part-time non-executive directors and tiny executive structures. Um, are you finding that's a particular challenge for those smaller firms and those smaller structures that uh, you come across day to day? Yeah, I think that's um, indicative, really. And, and the challenge for these firms is, you know, a, a credit unit union is effectively offering that community banking service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a as a firm that holds um, retail consumers money, potentially, um, then they it doesn't matter how small they are. There's a minimum standard to doing business and being mm -hmm. a regulated firm. And this is where the challenge comes in, because absolutely a lot of these organisations work on um uh volunteers in many cases um but you know the regulator has been quite clear there are a number of senior manager <clears throat> 
accountabilities that need to be allocated and therefore from their perspective it doesn't matter if there are a small number of executives it has to be clear to them within that small pool who is accountable for what mm. so it's unfortunately um, in in that respect, not as proportionate, I suspect, as credit unions would hope that it would might be. But I think that's because of the robustness needed um, around the risk and the risk management controls in that type of organisation. Perfect. Um, that's a great answer. And thanks for, for doing that. Nick, I'm going to move on to a question now. Uh, for, and I'll, I'll post it to you first on this one. Um, the question was, and I, I know where this is coming from, obviously, because the, the FCA are watching and looking for, you know, where people aren't sort of uh, going forward on the, uh, on the uh, regulation. So the question came in, when you say, in case something goes wrong, uh, what does this refer to and what are the FCA actually watching for? And I think people are a bit mindful of punishments that are coming down as well, aren't they, at the moment, and wondering... You know, well, we haven't seen anything yet. What is actually going on? So I guess really it's the kind of uh, this is the, the the stick instead of the carrot side of it that we haven't seen yet. So I mean, what are you seeing at the moment? Uh, yes, um, I remember seeing that comment come up actually during the webinar itself. And, and, and I think when Julie was saying it, you know, she was she was saying it just... Um, uh, I, I don't know, as a, as, a, as a generic comment in case something f fundamentally went wrong with the business that meant the, 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 the regulator had to step in for some reason. But, uh, but, but actually, for me, I, I mean, the, the fact that somebody's picked up on that and commented and commented back, um, I, I, I mean, I'd be a little concerned that they're looking for a crib sheet, I suppose, of things that they need to avoid, because uh, ultimately we all know what those are. Um, uh, I, I'd be uh, keener, I think, to just express um, uh, uh, a, a bit of uh, guidance for firms to be conscious of how the regulator is going to continue to view those organisations and monitor them. Um, we're, we're moving into a data-driven age. So, uh, I mean, literally everything that a firm does, the regulator has potential of, of uh, viewing that and analyzing it in some way or the other. So, so one of the things that we've seen um, recently, for, for example, is, um, I, I mean, you know, what we, we saw a real challenge for firms um, submitting their directory information um, uh, back in March and the need for the regulator to chase some firms down who had effectively missed those regulatory deadlines. Um, and if, if you just take that and, and just say, well, what does that say about the organisations that they're, I mean, maybe there's some kind of sense of, uh, of uh, reality if they miss the first deadline because firms are running to catch up. But going forward, if firms are consistently late with submitting data uh, or the data is uh, consistently, there's errors in it, for example, what does that say about the firm's culture? Um, uh, and controls um, uh, within the, that organisation. So um, I, I'd be very conscious, again, if I was, uh, if I had responsibility within organisations for making sure um, I, I was doing my utmost to present the picture that I wanted to present um, uh, and had the systems and controls in place to do so. 
Um, Julie, just following on for that, there's another question that sort of kind of plays into what Nick was saying there. Um, so I suppose we could add to this really. So since 2016, PRA started investigation for only 26 individuals. What kind of message is that to the industry? And again, this sort of plays into the sort of what is the regulator looking at, I suppose. Does that make sense? And is that something um, that kind of adds into what we've just been talking about? Yeah, and I think, you know, when you get a new set of regulations, and this is a wholesale change from what we had before, you've got all the industry commentators um, and everybody looking for, oh, you know, who's going to be the first senior manager that's held accountable and publicly banned and fined and so on. And the more we get of this means that firms are more likely to um, be more focused on this. But I think... Um, things are a little bit more subtle and that's what we tried to bring out I think within the um, webinar that we did um, for a start regulatory investigations are very long and they're very expensive and um, you know a, a firm say for example if the FCA or the PRA was handing down some kind of edict now about a firm and a ban or a fine then it it could possibly relate to something back as far as, I don't know, 2010, 2015. It's not always in the here and now. So um, I don't think that the fact that the PRA has been investigating 26 senior managers is necessarily means that they're not interested in making this regime work. When we've had the opportunity to question them at various industry events, the responses that we've had is that they would rather work with the industry for SMCR to be used within firms as that cultural tool that the regulator wants it to be to help firms be more effective in what they do and what they deliver to the general public. Um, and that actually there are lots of other things the regulators, both of them do, to try and manage against SMCR. So, for example, the threshold to becoming a regulated firm is probably higher than it ever was before. Um, the threshold to become um, a, a pre-approved senior, ma senior manager is very challenging and we saw through the stats that more people um, are having their applications withdrawn and there's more investigations where the regulator uses its section 166 powers to um, ensure that a regulatory investigation takes place um, that the firm is responsible for managing and paying for so not everything always results in a ban or a fine but there are lots of subtle pieces of work that the regulatory teams are, are ongoing within firms that don't necessarily become public where they are holding firms to account and where they are seeing that SMCR is not working effectively within firms and therefore they're having to step in and do something about it. Amazing. Thanks for that, Julie. Uh, we've got one final question, uh, which I'll, I'll ask for, uh, for answers from both of you, actually. I'll start with Nick on this one. Um, are you aware of how firms are finding maintaining an up-to-date management responsibilities map and what tools do they use to help achieve this efficiently? Uh, uh, just to pre-qualify this, you're, you're talking to an advocate of uh, reg tech and um, and software solutions. So, um, so, so my answer is likely to be a little bit biased. Um, but, but That's quite all right, Nick. It's allowed today. It's absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I mean, it, it, look, uh, part of that bias is is the fact that we're approached. I spend a lot of time talking to firms that approach us 
uh, now, e even even from the banking sector. So, so you'd think that the banks, having been subject to this uh, regime for a number of years now, would have their systems and controls in place, that have it all sorted. Um, but periodically, they could they come back to us and say, look, we, we've recognised that we're really struggling. Um, and, and I think very often the pattern is that there's a there's a realisation of the uh, the dynamism of the regime, the number of changes that are made um, uh, within the regime uh, for senior managers' records all the way through the organisation, um, really, as well. Um, and, and the fact that in many cases, the, the responsibility for administering it has been allocated to maybe a small group, or if not a single person. Um, and they spend an awful lot of time trying to consolidate information records um, and so on from a whole disparate range of systems and processes and databases. And um, I mean, it must be a real challenge and, and a real headache. Um, and of course, where where technology plays a role, if I can if I can beat the drum for that a little bit, um, is it helps automate a lot of that, uh, consolidate all of that into a single uh, kind of sort, single source of the truth, really, which is a, a real boon, um, and uh, and automate some of the transactional stuff, if not all of the transactional stuff. So you've you've got automated calls to action that are driving um, adequate responses um, in in the right time frame. Um, and I think administrators spend an awful lot of time chasing information down when there's no need. Um, um, you know, we, we have a solution, for example, that just provides that information for you just by virtue of managing the process really well. Um, and uh, I'd be an advocate for making the transactional stuff as simple as possible so that you can focus on, uh, on the, 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 the spirit of the regime, the benefits of the regime for the organisation. Perfect. Julie, anything to add to that? I think the only thing I'd add to that is, is just repeat um, a, a comment that we put into the webinar itself, and that was a, quite an interesting quote from a, a uh, chief risk officer at one of the largest insurers in the UK and uh, he used this lovely phrase that said um, I've got the words here no matter how complex your processes are there are teams and solutions available to help solve the puzzles bring oversight and peace of mind and effectively that's what the likes of um, uh, our organisation does with the solutions that we provide MRMs because it touches, as Nick said, every facet of your business. If you try and do that manually, that's that's one person probably on a full time job in a enhanced firm or a banking or insurance firm that has the highest level of uh, requirements. And and there's no need for that. So mm. I think it's about firms being smart and and utilising all all the good tech that's out there to just help them um, where they where there is help available. That's really, really great. And, and, and I've got one final question really for me, which kind of links onto the back of this and it's not listed on our, so I'm sorry, this is going to come a bit left field, but this is something personal I've been thinking about since we've been talking. Um, and actually it's not just about this particular webinar or this podcast, but it's about previous podcasts and webinars that we've done over the, over the years now, really, which is fantastic. And it's so great to keep inviting you guys back to do these. Um, but obviously we've experienced a, a huge shift uh, from where we were 18 months, two years ago to where we are now. And obviously SM and CRs had to 
kind of adapt uh, and managers have had to adapt in the way that they manage their people, the way they look after them, the way that they um, in, in enforce the regulation, etc. And um, it would be remiss of me not to sort of comment on something landmark that happened yesterday where Boris Johnson has announced that all final restrictions will be lifted uh, from the 19th of July. Now, obviously, this means that more people potentially are going to be going back into the workplace, but also at the same time, there's going to be a lot of people who will still be working remotely. So does this promote uh, any further challenges in the SMNCR regime or, you know, are there things that uh, managers need to be a little bit more mindful of going forward now? Um, because effectively it's one regime, if you like, but it's, a, it's going to be managed in two different ways, you know, on a live basis, face to face, and also, um, you know, remotely where it's had its own challenges about how you manage your, your people remotely. Um, can you see any challenges coming up? I think it's a continuation, actually, of, of what's what's been there already. Definitely, we've, we've had it um, reported from many organisations that, you know, it, it has been a real challenge, especially around uh, conduct and managing uh, potential conduct rule breaches where you haven't got sight and visibility of all your employees. Mm. Um, what I what I would say is that um, it, it just timely that actually we are. Um, running an in-house discussion on this next week that your members would be very welcome uh, to come to next next Tuesday um, we're running a session between half nine and eleven and we have um, a HR uh, regulatory lawyer who's going to be talking about SMCR and this movement and this change and what this means for firms so not wanting to plug something that's not directly you know related to what you're doing but if you know if people do want to hear a bit more then we've got a, a complimentary event that we'd be more than happy to share the link with um, for you but I, I think it's more of the same more challenges thinking more creatively about the controls that firms have and are they flexible enough um, to actually uh, work both in a face-to-face -face environment, a home environment, and then subsequently a long-term hybrid environment. Excellent. And that's on the 20th of July, is it, Julie? Uh, yes. Yeah, 20th of July. We can nine... send you the link if you want. Yes, please. We'll share that with everybody. I think that'd be a great idea because, say, so if it's a question on my mind, it, you know, and I'm not um, having to use the regime uh, as a manager myself, um, within LIBF in, in the way that most people here would be, but obviously extremely interested in it, you know, and if it's on my mind, it must be on a lot of people's minds how that's going to operate. I'm sure some people have got their own solutions, but interestingly, like a lot of these models, it, it's how you incorporate those into your day-to-day -day business that's important. So I think that'd be a very, very useful discussion for any of our members or anybody listening to this to, to go and jump onto. So at 9.30 till 11 next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. The yeah. 20th of July. Fantastic. Nick, anything else you'd like to add to that? Um, just to make the observation, I, I think, John, not to comment on the uh, on your point uh, specifically, but just to make the observation that this is something that's affecting the industry. Um, we're thinking about it in the context of the senior managers and certification regime, which is all about managing your people. Um, it was always intended as a regime to become uh, part of the way a business operates, integral to their 
uh, to, to their operation. Um, and, and I guess just to make the point that this is just the latest thing that we're dealing with that makes us think about these things. How, how do I manage my people? How do I ensure that they're competent and capable? Have I got the appropriate channels of communication? Um, this is what we're thinking about partway through 2021, uh, there'll be something else that we're thinking about as we go into 2022. So, um, uh, you know, th this regime is, is, I guess, here to stay is the point. It will continue to evolve. Um, so, so keep fleet of foot, make sure that you're future proofed in terms of how you, how you manage things and you've got flexibility in, in your operational approach. That is an amazing uh, few answers. And thank you. Sorry for throwing that curveball in, if you like, at the end there. But I actually thought, you know, wow, they're, they're, you know, if it's on my mind, it must be on a lot of people's minds. So thank you so much for that answer. Um, listen, guys, we're going to end it there. But uh, Nick and Julie, thank you so much for coming in and answering those last questions for everybody. I know, every, you know, anybody that's listening to this will really, really appreciate it. So, um, Julie, have a fantastic day. Thank you. And you um, too. Thank you. And Nick, yourself, have a lovely day as well. I'll try not to think about the football too much, Nick. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's gone now. World Cup's next year. We can, we can move forward. Well, well I'm, I'm moving on to the Lions tour and the rugby now. So, um, um, so yeah, it, the, the next event. Good for you. Fantastic. Right, well, with that, guys, uh, I'd like to end it there, bring that to a close. So, um, obviously, watch out for future events and um, know that we'll be welcoming back Julie and Nick for a future webinar as well so uh this is me john somerville signing off for this afternoon to, or today's podcast uh, and i hope you have a great day <laughs>